Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. We are in Ephesians. Um, Andrew is, he's actually been invited to speak at a YWAM in um, Vancouver, on Vancouver Island, um, Victoria Island. So he's really struggling for the Lord this week. Um, so it's going to be fantastic. Um, and so we, he's asked me to continue the series in Ephesians, and he's asked that I finish the five-week series in verse one. <laughs> Just kidding. No, but those, those uh, all three of those messages were powerful and convicting. Amen? And then last week, um, for those of you who were here for the revival weekend, it was, I heard it was powerful. All of my babysitters literally every single day bailed on me. Um, and some were family, so that was like so hurtful. No, I'm just kidding. It's just the way that it went. So I missed them all, but I was so excited that God moved powerfully. Um, and I'm so excited to be here. I love preaching God's word. I love it. It's just so great. It's such an honor to be able to just sit under a passage and hear God's word for, for really one week. And God just chisels away at my life, um, also my wife, because I won't stop talking about it all week. So sorry, babe. Um, and then I get to just try and do my best to deliver all that God has said to me in 45. No, just kidding. 30 minutes? No, never. Um, we'll try to go with 40. But um, so we're going to look at Ephesians 1 and 2. So we're going to make it all the way to the end of the second verse. So you're welcome. We're going to make a whole verse in one, in one service. You may ask yourself, why do we go into, why do we preach verse by verse into a, a book? Like, what's the point of that? Why don't we just do topics? Or, and, and so we believe in going topical and, and picking a topic and then teaching on it. But we also believe that there is power in the word of God and there's conviction in the word of God. And so I always say this, listen, if we go to the word of God and it, it is painful and it hurts or convicting and we don't like it, the great news is, is that that's from God, that's not from a person. So I love preaching verse by verse because I just get to say what the Bible says and we all, all get to be taught by it and I don't have to be, you know, apologetic because I didn't pick the topic. I just allowed Jesus to speak through the text. So amen. Anybody excited? Okay, so let's go ahead and read today's passage. Um, we're looking at the first verse, which says this, this letter is from Paul. Now, when we read the word of God, we need to know this. It is written by people for people. Sometimes we go to it and just think it's a random textbook and it's just information on a page. It's not. It's actual people who lived historically and they were sent to people historically. So first, the writer is Paul, the Apostle Paul. And so he is an actual person who was transformed by Jesus. He was on the road to go and, and persecute the church and Jesus showed up and changed his life. And then he took a 180 and he began preaching that Jesus that he used to try and persecute. Beautiful. And he writes this book. He writes this. Chosen by the will of God to, the, to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. 
or might say Christ Jesus. I am writing to, the, to God's holy people in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus, it's interesting. Ephesus is um, the third largest city in the Roman Empire. I always thought of it as like a smaller port city, but it's actually a very important city. It's in modern day Turkey. And it is, they said about, they believe a little over uh, a quarter of a million people lived in that city at that time, which is a significant amount of people when you think about how people got around back then. Continuing on, he says, who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus? May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. So here's where we're going we're gonna to plant that one sentence. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Have you ever been in a situation where you don't pay attention to things? Ever? So I have the habit of going a mile a minute. I know it's hard to believe, but, and I don't pay attention to details. I'm just not a detail person. And so I remember I was in Slovakia on a mushroom trip, struggling for the Lord, and we were hiking the um, Tatras, they're called, and we went on a three and a half hour a hike one way. It was seven or eight hours. No, that would be seven hours. Thank you, math teachers. Um, and so we, I, we stop in this little village. And I have to go to the washroom because we've been on a hike for so long. And so I'm like, I don't tell anyone. I just decide to go find a washroom. So I'm like still thinking like a North American. I'm like, yeah, washrooms or whatever. So I go into a restaurant and I'm just like, just need the washroom. They don't speak English. It's a small village. And they're like, and so I go back there. I don't read any of the signs because they're in Slovakian, but I don't ask any direction on how to use the washroom because it's a washroom. It's not a big deal. I go into the washroom, do my business, and then I turn around after I've locked the door. Now you have to understand this was like, I don't even know, it was like a washroom in a cave. And this, it wasn't like stalls like we have. It was literally a door and a cave. So it was like this high and I'm like, so I'm like, okay, I go to unlock the door and I'm like, I'm like, no one knows I'm in here. I'm in the middle of nowhere in Slovakia. I'm going to die. I'm like, I just jump right to it, right? Like, I'm just going to die. I'm going to, I'm going to starve here. And, and I'm like shaking. I'm like banging on the door. I'm like, Hey, Hey, I'm like, so embarrassing. This is the worst. No one's in there. And then I'm like, you know when you're like freaking out, right? And it felt like an hour. It was like 10 seconds. <laughs> then I open, I finally open the door and I'm like, and then there's a teenager there. I'm like, hey. <laughs> right, but, but it's, it's really simple. If I would have just taken direction, if I just would have stopped for a moment and paid attention or just told somebody I was going to the washroom, I may have not died in a cave bathroom. It would have been great. Um, but so often when we read the scriptures, these are the verses that we just skip, right? Like we read them, but we're not like, hey, there's revelation in this. It's just kind of habit. And it's true. Like this is a, this is a very typical um, letter that's written. Now, remember, when we look at books of the Bible, we talk about them as books, but 
This is a letter written from Paul to a church that he founded. He was there for two years. He loved them. He cared about them. He's writing them. He actually knows them personally. And when he's writing this letter, he actually is seeing people's faces, right? Like so often we just think of it as like, yeah, just write it down. It's good theology. It is good theology, but it's so deep and so personal. And so when he's saying this, he's saying it to people. He's saying, may God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. So simply, I want this. If this is, if you want a title, this is the title. It's not my best, but just, it's okay. It's one blessing and two fundamental pillars of your life. Great title, right? This one's like riveting. You guys are all like, this is going to be so good. I promise you it's going to be so good. So here's the blessing. He says this. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Give you grace and peace. When I read this, I start thinking like, hmm, okay. So what is, that, what is that blessing? And do I have it in my life? Do I have grace and peace in my life? Because we're really good, right, Christians? We're really good at using words like grace and peace. Right? Like, no God, no peace. No God, no peace. Uh-huh, you know what I'm saying? Anybody want to say grace? It's a grace, grace time before dinner, just grace. Right, like we, we have all these things that we just use and we're like, yeah, that's the grace of God on your life. But do we really know, like at the depths of who we are, what it really means? Like when Paul is saying, hey, I want you, church, that's hearing this, that's reading this. Now remember, this is, this is a letter delivered. Someone is standing before them and saying, hey, Remember Paul who was here and founded us? I'm going to read this letter to you and it is from him to you. And when he says, I want you to have grace and peace in your life, he is actually inviting you to, to have that come out of you and in your life. The question is, what is that? Right? Like what is grace? So we're gonna look at what is grace and what is peace. So grace, the best way to understand grace is this. If it's translated perfectly, it's better to be sound as unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. Turn with me to Matthew 18. Matthew Henry, who was a, a theologian and a Bible teacher, he said this about grace. Grace is the free, undeserved goodness and favor of God. Grace is so important to our faith. Paul writes this later in Ephesians. He says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed and you cannot take credit for this. It is a gift from God. I mean, if he saved us by grace, we should probably know what it means. Matthew 18, verse 22. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? You can so see Peter, right? Seven times? No, stupid. Oh, sorry. No. <laughs> Not seven times. Sometimes I put words in there. Um, but 70 
times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of God can, can be compared to a king who decided to bring his account up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Some people believe as much as um, tens of billions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his kids, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master, begging him, please be patient with me. I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him. And he released him and forgave his debt. This is unmerited favor. The man owes him millions that rightfully he borrowed and took from the king. And then he comes that he is, he is owed this amount of money. You need to pay me. And it says that he just, once he saw the man in his brokenness, thought of his family and his kids, had mercy and grace on him. And not only did he let him go, which would be kind, but unmerited favor was extended to him that allowed him to go forgiven. Now, Jesus is obviously telling us this parable because he's saying, this is what God has done for you. He's, he's obviously foreshadowing that the cross will do this for you. And see, the first part about grace we need to understand is this, that grace has to be received. It is a gift. What does a gift do? Well, it doesn't just sit on a shelf. You must receive it, un unpack it or open it and use it. Grace must be received in our lives so that we can then live out. But see, here's, here's the thing. The unmerited favor of God is absolutely beyond understanding. And so it should do something to us. See, it's not, unmerited favor is not just for you. It should do something through you. Let's continue reading. Verse 28. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him, begging for a little bit more time. Be patient with me. I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. The king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Then the anger of the king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And then this is what Jesus says. That's what my heavenly father will do 
to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. See, God's grace is for you, but it should move you to extending it to others. Look, can I just be honest with us? Christians, sometimes we are terrible at being nice. And that's actually what we think Christians should be. We should be nice. Wrong. We shouldn't be nice. We should have grace towards others. Nice is I open the door for you. Unmerited favor is that I actually help you in your deepest need. But we're so worried about winning political battles that we actually fight more than we show grace. And listen, I'm not against politics. That's not the point. The point is we should be able to love people regardless of a political party. Grace should see beyond those things and should show love so extravagant that people are drawn to Jesus, not our political view. Grace, absolutely. If this guy understood what happened, how could he not? His servants were outraged that you could not see the grace that was extended to you. You couldn't extend it to someone else. Man, I wonder sometimes, do we truly live in the unmerited favor of Jesus? See, grace is the cross. Do we ever sit and just comprehend the price of the cross? Not so that we can feel down and garbage about ourselves, but actually that we can be brought to the place that says, I was not deserving of that, but the grace and unmerited favor of the King of Kings has been given to me. I walk free. Someone comes to me and wrongs me. I say, oh man, if you knew what I was forgiven of, I can extend grace to you. And I'm not saying it's easy. C.S. Lewis says this, that it is easy to have a good view of forgiveness until you need someone to forgive. I'm not saying unmerited favor is easy, but I'm also saying that the cross was not easy. And if we grab just a little bit of a glimpse of the cost that Jesus paid for us, we will show the grace that has been given to us to those around us. And maybe, just maybe, when we live in that abundance of grace, the unmerited favor of our King, and we extend it out, maybe, just maybe, we'll begin to see our loved ones come to know Jesus, our, our, those who are in our offices come to know Jesus, because they'll say, there is something that is different in you than in the world. And it's the unmerited favor of our God. That's what grace is. So Paul's saying, hey, when I pray for you, when I bless you, I am blessing you with the understanding that you have the grace of God in your life and that should absolutely change it. 
This is why historically Christians have been on the front line of helping the people who are absolutely in the worst of situations. From the first century, when they saw that children were being left in the fields, they just started orphanages. We have to have the unmerited favor for those who are down and out and love them so deeply, not just try to convince them mentally, but absolutely pour out our grace on them. And not our grace but the grace of Christ through us that transforms life. So he says, grace, have grace in your life. I want it to abound in your life. I want you to know the grace of your father and I want you to extend it to a broken world. And then I want you to have peace. Do you know that peace, it's interesting. Peace, when, when you look deeper into the meaning, the meaning is wholeness. Ah, isn't that awesome? Man, I would love some wholeness in my life. Sometimes I feel so, so broken and scattered that I have a hard time. Turn with me to Matthew 6. This is uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, arguably called the greatest sermon until today. <laughs> Just kidding. Joking. Joking. That's not... That's joking. Joking. Verse 25. That is why I tell you not to worry about every, everyday life. Amen. Let's go home. It's a good word right there. Don't worry about it. Thanks, Jesus. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothing to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in a barn. For your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable than him, to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they, are, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed in as beautiful, as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Peace. Jesus doesn't necessarily say the word peace there, but he says an important word. And sometimes when I look up a word, I want to know the opposite of that word. And since I googled what the opposite of peace is, it didn't help me. And so I looked up, I thought worry made sense. To me, worry is the opposite. So I looked up the meaning of that word that Jesus uses when he's teaching that. Do you know what the meaning of it is? Worry is a divided mind. Peace is 
wholeness. Man, how often do I live in a divided mind? You want to know what a divided mind looks like? It looks like 3 a.m., Alex. He looks as good as this, but he's just, in, he's sleeping. And he wakes up and he thinks about his mortgage that he hasn't renewed and that it's only 26 days until it expires. And since, you know, Alex didn't really have his dad around, he didn't really know about mortgages, he doesn't, he doesn't know that if it's, you have a deadline to renew a mortgage. So 3 a.m. Alex thinks, oh my goodness, I have three girls and I'm gonna lose my house. My three daughters are gonna be homeless and I'm going, I, that's my fault, I'm the father. And I'm like, and, and you, you'd be like, oh yeah, that's so funny, that's, no, no, you can ask my wife. Like, I sleep like a rock. I'm like sitting on the edge of my bed like, she's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, the mortgage, babe, the mortgage. I didn't renew the mortgage. She's like, just call in the morning. Call in the morning, it may be too late. That's a divided mind. Because a divided mind doesn't think rationally, right? Have you ever been there? You're so stressed, so overwhelmed, so worried that you actually can't even sit and enjoy TV because your mind is racing on so many things. You can't think about anything. You can't find any solution. So you're so overwhelmed. And Paul says, the answer for that is peace. It's wholeness. You need wholeness in your life. And so let's look, how can we learn peace in our lives? We need, first of all, peace with God. Look, at the end of the day, the Bible is very clear. You can have peace in humanity, but peace without God is going to, to bring you to a place where you will be under judgment and hell is the ending. And so the first step is this. How do we get peace with God? There is brokenness here because we are sinful. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done. He's speaking of the cross. If you're here and you're wondering, you're like, man, I feel like there is not peace between me and God. Let me tell you, this is really simple. Jesus did all the work. All you need to say is that you are a follower of Jesus. He is your savior and he's died for you. And just one more step, you just have to give your whole life to him. But I promise you, the peace that comes from him is wholeness, not a divided mind. And I don't know about you guys, but when I live by myself and do things on my own, my mind is much more divided than when I'm rooted in Christ. He has given us peace with the Father. Man, there's no other religion that says, hey, you know how you get peace? Don't work for it. Just come to Jesus. He did all the work. Oh, man, that's good. Peace, wholeness is found in Jesus. I love this. D.L. Moody says this about peace. A great many men are trying to make peace, but that has already been done. God has not left it for us to do. All we have to do is to enter into it. 
See, we need peace with God. But have you ever felt like, you know, you know, you give your life to Jesus and life just gets harder? Anyone? Right, like, like whoa, whoa, time out. I feel like you, you tricked me here somewhere. Like, you said this is the best decision and now it's like so hard. Like, I have peace with God, but my life is falling apart. So how do I get peace in my life? Oh, Jesus is so good. This is it. Ephesians 2, 14. He himself is our peace. He himself is our peace. Look, how often do you go around even as Christians, trying to figure out what's the method for me to get peace. Like, how many reading plans do I need to be on? Life groups should I attend? How many Sundays do I need to go to church um, before I can have the peace that the Bible talks about? That's, it's not for something for us to attain and we try to grab it when it comes by us. It's the person of Jesus Christ. This is why he's called the Prince of Peace. This is the greatness of the gospel. Now, our gospel would sound like this. Who wants to become a millionaire and have an easy life and nothing go wrong and then go to heaven? Come to Jesus. Right? Like that would be my gospel. But that's not the world we live in. And if we're honest, that is not even close to how good the gospel is. The gospel promises presence in every situation. Which you're like, oh, come on. But here's what, I, here's what I know. Hardship will come to all of us. The Bible says it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous, the wicked. Hardships come to all of us. But here's the promise of the gospel. Jesus will be with you in that moment. And every moment after that. Let's read these verses because these are exciting. Jesus is leaving his disciples. His disciples are freaking out because he is the chosen Messiah, the one who's supposed to be the answer. And he says this, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Wow. What if we really live that? What if our, our week looked like that? Where we were actually able to hold his peace. But again, we think of it as something to attain, but yet it's a person that we get to be with. Colossians 3.15 says this, let the peace of Christ rule your heart. John 16.33 says this, I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. And then Hebrews 13, 5b says this. I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is the promise. This is why we have peace. Look, if you're here and you're in the darkest of, of moments and you've come in here because you're like, I have no more answers. 
There's nothing. Everything's falling apart. I've tried everything else and I just don't know what to do. I have good news for you because the gospel is Jesus and Jesus never leaves you nor forsakes you. So if you're in brokenness today, you don't have answers today, you're wrapped in fear today, you can have the peace that you've been chasing because it is not a thing, it is a person and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. That's the blessing. And then he actually gives us two fundamental principles and pillars to build our life on. It's crazy. He just throws them in there. Like we just overlook it like it's, like it's nothing. But it's actually will absolutely change your life if you allow it to impact your life. Like grace and peace are amazing for us to have in our lives. But what he teaches us here, if we build our life on this, man, our life will never be the same. And what he says is this, he's very clear about it, that you may want grace and peace, but let me explain to you. I may be the apostle who founded this church and there may be people who say, look how great of things he did. There is one place that you can receive grace and peace from. There is one place and it is, may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you. He doesn't say, I hope that you have. Right? Like, that's how we talk. We're like, hey, I hope that, that you have peace in your situation. Let there be grace. Paul's very clear. He says, may God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you peace, grace and peace. And so there's two things right here, really quickly, that we build our life on. He says, God, our Father. God, our Father. Now, for us we're, that's grown up in the church, we're like, yeah, God's our Father. This is great. We love it. This is so cool. No, 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 no. He is grown up as a Jewish man. They don't even write the vowels in God's name because they honor him so far above anything that we would ever understand. Can you imagine that moment? I would have loved to be there for that moment of revelation for Paul. Where he realized that God is not just, because he is the creator, almighty God. But in that moment that Paul figured out that we can call him our father. Romans 8 tells us that actually we have been adopted and we have this relationship that we can call him Abba. Abba, which is an endearing term towards a father that only children get to ask. You ever had that friend that called your dad daddy? I had weird friends like that. We'd be like, hey, dad. I'm like, dude, my dad's English. Don't do that stuff. That's weird. Like it just doesn't work because children get to call their father by endearing terms. This is the relationship we're invited to. And Paul's very clear. Hey, listen, the blessings that you're desiring, that I'm giving to you, they only come. They only come through God, who is creator almighty, but you know him as our father. 
And when he says our, he's actually speaking to Jews and Gentiles. And he's saying, unity between you, you are on the same page in Christ. Which for us is like, cool, that's awesome. But in, at that time, it's like, what? There's an hour now? And we get to know him as father. And then finally, he drops this. And this is like his jam. Now listen, Paul is a one-hit wonder. Like he loves one-hit wonders. And he just plays it over and over and over and over. And the only thing that Paul plays is Jesus, is Jesus, is Lord Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's playing Jesus all day long, every day, all day, all day, all day, all day, Jesus. It's, you read his, you read all his, all his letters and he's talking about Jesus. In these first two verses, he says Jesus Christ three times. In the next passage, one through 14, he says Jesus and names him. 15 times. Jesus is the absolute epitome of everything that, that Paul wants this church, every church to know, that Jesus is Lord. And hear this. I close with this. I challenge you. Read, go ahead and read Colossians 1, 15 through 20. You want to know the depths of Paul's understanding of who Jesus is? Oh, man. Look at um, Philippians 2, 4 through 11. And it talks about the depths of who Jesus is. It's not, hey, he's a really good guy or, hey, he's even my savior. And you should just raise your hand. And once you've raised your hand, just tick off a box. And that means you're in the heaven game. And that's great. No, he is Lord Jesus and Lord means master. And master is not just when it's talking about Jesus. It's not just talking about a master, lowercase. It's talking about capital master of the universe. He is everything in all and he is all. And Jesus is our jam. And here's what Jesus is asking for. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your way, take up your cross and follow me. He didn't say raise your hand once, make a decision and then live the life you want. He's not interested in your hand raising. It's a good moment. I do those things because I like to know I have chose you. But what matters is how you live your life. And here's the question. And it doesn't matter if you're 95 and have been serving Jesus since you were five or you're here. And this is the first time you've ever heard the gospel. The question is the exact same is, is your life surrendered to Jesus? You know what's great? When I was 13, I had to answer that question at a funeral. My, my sister's friend died in a crazy work accident. I was sitting in a funeral and I had to ask that question, will I surrender my life to Jesus? And I made the answer yes, but then I went on and lived my life as I, I wanted to. The crazy thing is this, Jesus asked the same question to me today as a minister. He said, is your life surrendered to me? Really simple. Let me ask this question to you. My time is up. <laughs> um, is your life surrendered to him? Here's how you tell. What's your work life look like? Or is that like separate? You know, work life and church life, they're not the same. Let me ask this. What do you listen to? Because that matters. 
Like we want to pretend like, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus doesn't have, he doesn't get to pick the playlist. No, yes, he does. What do you watch? Is that surrender to Jesus? What's your friendships look like? What's every aspect of your life? What does home life look like? Is home life surrendered to Jesus? Let's go ahead and bow our heads. So our prayer today, Jesus, is that we would have grace and peace in our lives. But more importantly, that we would know God our Father and Jesus, not, as, not just as our Savior, but as the Lord, glorified in heaven, seated on the throne above heaven and earth, worthy of all of our praise. If you're in this place with nobody looking around, if you're just here and you're like, man, I just want to, I want to make an outward expression of an inward moving, what God's doing right now. And I just want to surrender my life to Jesus. And you may have done it already. But again, the question never changes. It's the same tomorrow. Do you surrender your life to Jesus today? The question is the same, no matter how old you are, no matter what stage of maturity you're at. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in your life lately. 